So um, I packed those Bibles away. And I had to go back and rethink this whole thing, which uh, to rethink something is, is not the easiest thing for me to do. Um, but I've, I've tried to hit the highlights anyway of chapter 25. Moses again, Moses is receiving this message. The real one is in heaven. God is giving him the instructions meticulously how to build it. Now let me tell you why we can take the liberty to, to make this a type of the Lord Jesus. Because the book of Hebrews does. We've already seen that. We studied a couple of, of last time. Whenever it was we met before. Uh, we saw what the book of Hebrews says that, you know, um, Christ was this and Christ was that. And the Bible even says, well, I'll talk about that in a minute, that he tabernacled with us. But let me go over these things uh, that if a person, ordinarily you think, well, this mundane stuff that I'm reading, the tabernacle, it's something's got to be this color, and then you've got to use wood here and kind of wood there and gold here, brass there, silver there, and you've got to put these curtains and how many curtains and, and how many skins on top of the curtains and all this and how long the planks should be. There's a reason for all that. Now, the Lord, of course, is giving the instructions, and God doesn't waste his breath. So let me just go through these things. You've, you've got them there. They're up here, too. You probably can't read that paper. The tabernacle is the subject that occupies more verses of the Bible than any other subject. In the book of Exodus alone, ten chapters teach us about the tabernacle. Arthur Pink, in my opinion, is a great author. A great Arthur, a great author, author Arthur Pink. Uh, great, great thinker in his day, great, great expositor of the scriptures. And in his book, uh, that would be his book called uh, Gleanings in Exodus. Here's what he says. In the first place, the tabernacle is a type, a visible illustration of that heavenly place in which God has his dwelling. Let me get me a pointer here. Okay. In the second place, the tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ who is the meeting place between God and man. In the third place, the tabernacle is a type of Christ in the church, the communion of Jesus with all believers. The tabernacle as an illustration of the heavenly place of God's dwelling is indicated in Hebrews 9, 23-24, where we see that the earthly tabernacle was to be patterned after the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. The tabernacle as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ is depicted in many scriptures. In John 1, 14, for example, when I mentioned this earlier, it was written that Jesus Christ tabernacled among us. Just that word. Of course, the word tabernacle means a tent. It's a mobile thing. It moves. It has, it has a specific um, purpose. And because it's a tabernacle, that purpose finally, someday, will be fulfilled. A person 
wouldn't always expect to live in a tent. That's the way the Lord Jesus Christ was in his life and ministry. He had a purpose to fulfill. He tabernacled among us. He was here for the, for the purpose that he came for. So he tabernacled among us. The same application can be made of the Old Testament, uh, tabernacle in Exodus. Tabernacled among us, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. That's the word there, as Kenison, to dwell, uh, dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. As you go inward toward the tabernacle, of course, the glory of God is in the Holy of Holies. And in the ascension, the glory, the peculiar glory of the Christ of God comes back upon the Christ as he ascends. Um, so there's some, really, there's some really deep analogy to be made there. The tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ in the church, and the communion of Jesus Christ with all believers is seen in the many sacrifices, the mediations and offerings that were carried out in it uh, in order for God's people to be placed in proper relation with Him and to commune with Him. Now, I've told you earlier, everything that they did was an opportunity for the people to be taught more and more about the relationship between God and His people. Uh, you, you, uh, you go the first time to the tabernacle with your offering or whatever, your sacrifice, you're not going to get the full impact of the meaning of everything, but if you do it year after year, time after time, it, it begins to mean more and more the meaning of it, what it is, what it's all about. Uh, so the worshiper grows in his word. The, the, the bottom line of the tabernacle anyway is worship. Uh, because the tabernacle was just a tent made of plain boards and skins, and apart from some of its furnishings, not really brilliant in its splendor, which was the case with the temples of the gods of this world that other nations had built, especially what they had just seen in Egypt. It symbolized the Lord Jesus Christ in His first coming, in His incarnation, uh, because the tabernacle reflecting upon Jesus Christ in His incarnation and His humility, that the temple... Uh, which was designed to be permanent and glorious, reflects upon Jesus Christ in His resurrected glory and His second coming. The tabernacle was a place where God met with man and it was called the tent of meeting. The Israelite was to come to the door of the tabernacle if he wanted to draw near to Yahweh or Jehovah. Likewise, there is just one mediator between God and man and that is the man Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5. At the tabernacle, uh, sacrifices were made. Jesus Christ is typified in the brass altar, the brazen altar, as well as all of the other furniture of the tabernacle. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind upon Calvary's cross, the blood that was shed there for the remission of our sins, is symbolized in the blood sacrifices for sin for individuals and the nations. Let me stop there just a second. The teachings for hundreds and hundreds of years and the untold number of sacrifices and the central theme of the coming Messiah 
and all that they taught in the Old Testament and then to follow the passion of Christ through His, His, His crucifixion, His death, His burial, it's, it's, it's just unimaginable that people wouldn't have caught on to all of this. But they were, they were affixed on the Christ of the second coming because of their fixation on works salvation. They had to save themselves. You know, God would be, God, God would be lucky to have them in his heaven, so to speak. Um, let's see, where did I get to? At, okay, I got there. Blood Brazen, sacrifice. Uh, there we go. The tabernacle was the place of worship for the Israelites. And it is to Jesus Christ that we are to offer up to God a continual sacrifice of praise. Of course, that, that's found in Hebrews 13, 15. So, so much. You know, when you study the tabernacle uh, and the law and all in the books of Moses, and then you go over to the book of Hebrews, the whole thing comes together so well. The tabernacle was to be in the center of the Israelites whenever they camped, as it was the center of their worship and the center of civil life for them. Of course, in the same way, Christ is to be the center of our lives in the church today as God's people, and we are to consider His presence wherever we go. Wherever they went, they had to, they had to line up three there, three here, and three here with the tabernacle in the middle. So they had to think of the presence of God wherever they went. Well, of course, it should be no less uh, for us. The tabernacle declares to us that God is holy and majestic, that sin separates a man from God, that one may only be brought near to God through the shedding of blood, and that there must be a mediator in order for a person to be brought near to God through the sacrifice on the brazen altar, that there must be a substitutionary victim on behalf of the guilty person and through the water of the laver declares cleansing for the washing away of our sins. There's also a great study by J. Vernon McGee who his particular study focuses on the tabernacle and I think, I think you can find it free online if you ever want to look at it. The, the, the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of worship, the doctrine of sanctification, the cleansing of the laver and all, that's the sanctification where the believers are separated uh, and it's a real good read if, uh, if you want to download that sometime. The first thing mentioned about the tabernacle had nothing directly to do with its construction. But it is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the most important part of the tabernacle because the mercy seat of the Ark is the place where Yahweh dwelt and also the place where the blood for atonement for sin was placed on the Day of Atonement once a year. Um, so, first reference, first thought, Ark of the Covenant, because this is where God mercifully deals with our sin. The order of the construction of the tabernacle and its contents is significant. And that Yahweh did not set the order that we would have set for the construction of the tabernacle because we would have started with the boards and the supports. That's not where God started. 
he started with the furniture, the, the, the good stuff. He started with the furniture and then built it around it. Um, for example, here's the way it went. The ark, and then the table of the showbread, the candlestick, the curtains, the boards of the tabernacle, the veil that separated, the brazen altar, and the hangings of the court. Much of this we already covered in Exodus 25. Exodus 26 gets us to the curtains and so forth. We're not going to get there tonight because I think it's so important to reflect back on where we've come on this thing because for those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this was the lesson to the Israelites about Jesus. And now when we, as I said earlier, when we go back, we can study the book of Exodus and not feel slighted by all of these details, you know, make this board this thick and this long and do this and have this many hooks and this many things. Because everything there is speaking to us about the person and ministry of Christ, and we don't just make that up. We get that from the book of, uh, of Hebrews. So let's think about it. The construction requirements in chapter 25 for the Ark of the Testimony the table of the showbread, or faces, and the candlestick, or the menorah, uh, which is what we saw, uh, show the many ways in which each of those aspects of those pieces of furniture symbolized Jesus Christ. So let's think about it. As we leave Exodus 25, final reflection on these things. The Ark of the Testimony was the most important part of the tabernacle. So its construction was first in the outline of things that were to be made. Because it was the place where Yahweh dwelt and where the blood of the atonement of the substitutionary victim was placed and the tablets with the law were kept. Acacia wood covered with gold symbolized the two natures of Jesus Christ, totally man and totally God. The table of showbread was next in importance and it indicated the relationship uh, with Yahweh that was designed to provide fellowship with Yahweh, the Lord. And the cakes, one for each of the tribes of all the same size and consistency, indicated God's equal love for all of His people. And that the bread was to be eaten by the priestly family indicated that Christ is to be our food and sustenance as believers. You know, Christ makes a reference to this when He said, I'm the bread. You have to eat me. And that offended a lot of people except even a lot of his so-called disciples. And after that, that was in what, John 6 or so? After that, there were only a few left and Christ you know, said, what are you going to leave me to? And Peter said, where am I going to go? Um, so it was a great, great lesson for those hundreds and hundreds of years. Acacia wood covered with gold again symbolized once again that Christ totally man totally God. Finally, the last thing that we studied, which was last week, and we'll stop it here tonight. The menorah, the candlestick, was made, was all gold. It contained the seven candles, and it was a picture of the power to do God's will with the illumination of the Holy Spirit necessary to understand God's Word that was symbolized in the cakes and the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. You can see that in Isaiah and one thing that I didn't add here, it also is the illumination 
that's carried into the world by the people of God and the Word of God. If it's, it's mentioned here um, in God's dealing with Moses and then Moses going back to the people that the people were expecting, I mean, you know, the, the great charge to the people was that God would be their God, they would be His people, but they were to carry this knowledge of God to other people. They didn't do it. They, 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 they fell well short of what God had really commissioned them to do as far as being a, a, a nation that would, that would carry this word and to illumine, illuminate the world, a world of darkness. Uh, and of course, that, uh, that's, that same kind of commission, Jesus said of his church, you're the light of the world. And Jesus called himself the light of the world. Um, and that uh, there can't be any darkness where the light shines. So by the time we get all of these coverings on the holy place and the holy of holies and the, all these layers of stuff that's going to be in there, the first part, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the first part of those, of those curtains are just beautiful, beautiful colors. And, and the finest craftsmen were to, to sew the images of the cherubim all the way through those, this beautiful. But the more the layers are, the plainer it gets until you get to those badger skin, those skins on the top, and it looks so plain and ordinary uh, to the world. But while Christ on the outside may have not looked beautiful to the world in the gospel accounts, those who were believers and came to know Him understood and could sense and could see the real beauty that, of course, is the, is the Christ's of God. Well, okay, I'm going to stop there, and then we're going to get, God willing, next time into uh, those, those coverings uh, and, and the curtains and so forth and what they mean as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're, we're so thankful how that your plan of salvation, the purpose of Christ, His ministry, all have marched through every era of time. And how the message was always there that was appropriate for the people of the time so that they could understand in accord with their day how you presented the great message of Christ. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've given us your word today and and we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so that you could make us to understand the wonderful and beautiful truths of your word at the center of which is Christ, our Savior. Father, help us and bless us that we might teach others of these wonderful things in your word, that they might come to know Christ as well, not just as the carpenter of Nazareth, but they might come to know him as the blessed, only begotten Son of God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.